0: Hey Brad. Yes. Do you know how we fund the program going off track?
1: I know exactly how we fund it. There's one source of income for us and that is patreon.com slash going off track where our loving patrons give us money and we give them bonuses. Patreon. Stop
0: making up words. (laughs) It's a great place. We do a weekly Thursday night fireside chat. Brad takes all the embarrassing things I say in podcasts that he doesn't put into podcasts and puts it on the Patreon. Funny pictures of Brad in the 90s, usually naked or wearing a wristband. Please sign up. Brad, what's the address?
1: Patreon.com slash going off track. I got something for you. Uh Uh-oh got a jam for you, you ready?
0: Yeah, lay it on me.
1: Wait for it. Oh, Wait for tell it. Me, this is
0: the crazy town song.
1: Uh, can you design <laughs> a robot that's meant to go to Jupiter? <laughs> <laughs> Design a robot that's meant to go to Jupiter. <laughs> uh, I was sitting here waiting for you, and I was playing with the. That's basically the canned music they give you to make your podcast with.
0: Yeah, it's exactly the point I was making with Riley. You just did that in four seconds. If I gave you twenty minutes, you could have actually made a nice sounding track,
1: probably. Hey, you know, like they say, it's all about the singer, man. <laughs> He's got that
0: that really unique diction, you know, a non regional diction. Uh yeah, it that works that, well. Yeah. Wow. Man, I just gotta wait, what, like 12 more years? So I'll just be rolling in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not even that's great. <laughs> wow. I love the mix. Thanks, Brad. It puts a smile on my face. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of kids, can I tell you a story? Please do. All right. So, you know, I know there's going to be conflict with kids. I heard an incident a couple years ago where a little kid was behind my son on the slide and started kind of like, you know, pushing them to go down, pushing mm. and pushing and being like kind of, and I kind of had a bad reaction.
1: You punched like, him.
0: <laughs> I walked into the situation like fronting on a little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being like, "Yo, wait your turn, right? <laughs> like you're gonna put your hands on him again?" You know. And my wife was there, and you know, she's like, "Us, oh, little, uh, a little out of line." Um, <laughs> and you know, she's like, "It's a little kid." And also, you know, like, your son needs to solve his own problems. Like, yes, this is going to happen. He needs to know how to figure this out. I'm like, you know what? Very good point. Noted. I internalized this this uh, thing that happened. I learned from it. I grew. Now I take us to about a week ago. I start my son in a track and field. He's doing great. You know, he's only a few classes in. He's running fast. He's throwing fake shot puts and stuff. It's kind of fun. And in his last class, there's a little kid, much smaller than him, who I saw, you know, I saw from, the, I'm trying not to be that like hands-on parent who's like, go, 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 go. You got it. You got it. You know, I'm like, he's in his <laughs> class. There's coaches like, let him do his thing unless you have to intervene, you know? Mm. And I see this little thing playing out where like this kid's coming over. It's kind of messing with him a little, <laughs> tries to grab something out of my son's hand I see my son do like a kick, you know? And I'm like, oh shit, like this kid's little. And then I see him going for my son again. And then my son like swipes and I'm like, all right, like he's about to fuck him up. Like, like (laughs) this kid's little, like my son's pretty big. I'm like, he's about to mess him up. So I run into the middle and I'm kind of just like sitting in between. I'm like, okay, everybody give your (laughs) space, you know, like everything's fine. And I'm being a, trying to be a good dad about it. I even go farther and I when I'm taking him to the side to speak to him, you know, I'm, uh, I'm like, listen, next time that happens, I understand he was starting it, but you need to, you know, find an adult, find a coach and, you know, let him go. But then I have to pepper it in with, I know you could have messed that kid up. <laughs>
1: Well,
0: like, like I know you could have taken them. Like, like, let's speak about the fact that I know you could have taken them, okay? But that's not how we handle things, okay? So I still, even I went through this whole uh, exercise to, you know, like, do the right thing as a parent. And I'm I tired, still had to dude. throw in this little thing where I'm like, like, yo, like, like, you're tough. I know Ooh. you're tough, okay?
1: Like, we're tough. Dude, it's what is that? <laughs> it's a thou. Thousand, it's thousands of years of instinct, you know. Right? That you suddenly have to quell because we're civilized now. You know, it's it's not easy, dude. You're supposed to be, you know, not only protecting the brood, but you know, also, yeah, teaching them to defend themselves. And uh, we don't need to, you know, we're not supposed to have to do that anymore. So, where do you draw the line, though? That's where, like, I, you know,
0: I, I lean towards being a hippie as much as anyone right but i'm a realistic person who is raised in this world and has been involved with like numerous conflicts in my life and not being scared of said conflicts especially after a while semi knowing what to do in those situations has helped me a lot right you know and especially when i started touring and getting out there like I had dealt with a number of things before I even got to that. So it was like some of the things I watched other people get wrapped up in, I didn't get wrapped up in. So even though I know what I said to them is not what you're supposed to do, at some point I do want my kids to have the confidence that if somebody's messing with them enough, that they could take them out and defend themselves. right? <laughs> Yeah. So, like, so, like, when? <laughs> so, when do you put that in in like a healthy way? Because clearly, me going like, "Yo, I know you could have fucked that kid up," <laughs> is probably
1: not the best. So, when do you do it? I don't know. I don't know, dude. I mean, <laughs> I grew up with this kid who was kind of who was smaller than me, and whose dad obviously had grown up with a chip on his shoulder, and it taught this kid to fight from like age five, you know, right. and. The kid was always trying to prove himself.
0: Like, he How, was did he pan out?
1: How did he pan out in life? Ugh, I don't know. I mean, I moved away when I was in like fifth grade, so he wasn't doing well when I left.
0: You, you think he's still up there in Northwestern math?
1: I think, you know what? He probably, like most smart kids, probably at one point hit puberty or a little later and went, went, you know, my fucking dad is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> right, right,
0: right. The same thing Riley was talking about at 16, 17. It doesn't matter. What it is, you start to think you know everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, speaking of which, Riley seems like he'd be a much more reasoned father than I am. As we discussed, the Californian, who even though he debunked it a little, I still find them to be just easier, more well
1: balanced people in a way. It seems. Well, as if, you give know? me ten hours sleep. A night, dude, and I will be fucking well balanced and
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, they they say like there's you know, you would like to think like you can uh you know go inside yourself to solve all these problems. You know, people talk about enlightenment and things like that, but you know, there are physical factors to life. And it is easier to be happy when you wake up every day in 70 degrees in sunshine. And didn't just go through like a month of straight blizzards and winter storms where you can't leave your home. But
1: at the same time, you've got the one tribe that grows up having to figure out how to survive. And you have the other one who's out there in, like you say, 70 degrees and sunny and picking food off of trees. Like, who's going to be more intelligent? (laughs) Maybe a little more anxious and agitated. Yeah. But I think what's fascinating is that and whatever gonna get hate from the west coast but dude i've i I moved from new york to the to california and i witnessed it it's really true right and i've also had so many friends who moved out there for good and i i've seen a change in them you know mm-hmm. like and i'm not gonna say they became dumber but maybe they just don't use their mind quite as much as huh. they could wow hot take And it's, and I mean, I felt it happening to me, man. I used to, when I was the year that I was out there, I had a lot of work to do. I was supposed to be writing an album and I would wake up in the morning and go open the blinds and be like, oh, it's 72 degrees and sunny. Yeah. And I'd close the blinds and go to work because I couldn't, you know, it was just, it was blah. It got boring after. You know what's, and you know what really happened for real? It would rain and I'd be in an amazingly good mood. Oh, I was, I was only happy when it rained, just like the song like <laughs> it really, really happened. I'd be like, Oh my God, it's raining. This is so great like uh, it changed my mood, man, yeah, huh just because it, it was it was a change, I guess it's pretty fascinating. Well,
0: maybe it's like uh kind of like a fight or flight response like like so I remember when i when my wife and I went to Hawaii, we came up with a phrase for the way people are there. And we started calling it macadamia brain (laughs) because like, yes, it's like super relaxed and really easy to be around. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're alive on this planet. Like, can we, you know, like I'm going to die eventually. Can I, can I just get this thing? Or like, (laughs) did you forget what I said like 13 seconds ago? And it's almost like in a fight or flight kind of way, is it like, you know, you wake up when it's like 15 degrees out and you can't leave and you got to shovel and you got to do all this stuff. Are you just like attuned to the weather and the system because like you have to fight the weather to survive. But when you're there, you don't. And maybe it makes you a little lax.
1: It does. It does. It definitely does. And when I moved out there, the first thing my buddy who had, who had moved there a few years before, he said to me, he goes, he goes, listen, when you get in line at the grocery, just you just got to turn it off, dude. You got to be chill. <laughs> right, and I'm like, what are you right. talking about? He's like, You're, you'll see. I'm not going to elaborate. Just remember. Yeah. And sure enough, the first time I went to the grocery store in our neighborhood and I'm in line and there's like four people in front of me and I'm in line and I'm in line and I'm in. <laughs> and I think I might have even have been in like the express line because yeah. it was like the first time I'd gone. Yeah. And I'm like, and nothing's going on up there. Like the clerk, I don't know what she was doing, just zoning out. And nobody in front of me gave a fuck. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, what's going on up there? Nobody cares. You guys don't care." See, but that's that's the reason for my counter,
0: though, and the reason I brought the whole thing up is like people shouldn't care. I know. And if, and if you're in if you're in a line in a supermarket in New York City, you know, and someone, God forbid, like you know, uh, their card's not going through fast enough or some shit. Yeah. You got some asshole three behind you like, yo, come on! <laughs> He's gonna fuck it. Or some, you know, tacky woman who's like, excuse me, I have somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, or like something like and that's not really the right way to be. I'd like to finish this segment, okay? Because
1: <laughs> Yeah, this, is, this has like, all
0: been said before. <laughs> remember, Thrice is from California. Riley's from California. We might get a large California listening base here. So, and we I'd love like you. To finish this intro with the fact that I appreciate the speed, it's just a little hard to get used to for someone from the most worked up part of the world. I have... Bagel brain, you have avocado brain. They're very different, (laughs) you know. But that being said, Thrice, Riley, extremely chill characters. I've toured with them. Uh, Just great people to be around, easy, um, no pretension, you know. Like, it's not surprising to hear, again, that, you know, their band functions well and communicates. And even though I like Riley admitted in this one that, you know, you communicate with a little bit of conflict, which makes a lot more sense to me than some of the other answers we've heard. Uh, But I I really appreciate the way they do things and um, really, really appreciate their music. I mean, I'm one of those people who went on a journey with Thrice because I was a fan early on. You know, uh, I think I started at Illusion of Safety, you know, and kept being a fan. And by the time... You know they they got to Vishu and and records like that. I was all on board for it. I mean, I think I'm one of the people who maybe grew up with them too. And at the same time, they were making those switches. I'm listening to music like that, so I personally uh, have enjoyed all the pivots they made and and the artistry. And I think Dustin's gotten really, really acutely good at writing lyrics. Like I said. I listened to that Beyond the Pines song the other day and just started crying. It really hit me like it's really powerful song. And I'm glad Thrice is still a band and still making music. And uh, this was excellent insight into the workings of the band from a lovely drummer named Riley. It's going Have you ever seen the video of Randy Johnson blowing up a bird, Brad? No. Literally, I, I think the chances of winning like mega millions is more than Randy Johnson throwing a hundred one mile an hour oh, fastball. Oh yes. Directly yes. connecting with a bird <laughs> mid flight.
1: Yeah, I have seen that video. And it I just know exploding. loading. Yes. I've
0: hey Riley, it. are Hi. you here? Yes. Hey. I'm sure you've seen that video. Oh yeah.
2: Many times.
0: What it's are one of my the favorites? Actual- do you think there's a higher probability of being struck by lightning winning mega millions or that baseball connecting with a bird mid flight <laughs> um, I don't know that's a tough call
1: I think that i think that's gotta be like a bazillion to one think about
0: yeah, it. it it's i mean especially in this stadium, it's not yeah. like you're like you know, in like an Autobahn, like wildlife preserve. Right. Like, it's like the rogue bird who made it to the field, too. Yeah. yeah what what, if, he was, oh, what if he was, oh, what if he was suicidal?
1: Still, the chances of like hitting that goddamn ball, <laughs> think about it.
0: And you so could fair. never hit it with a bat, dude. No, <laughs> no, a hundred times out of a hundred. I have this argument a lot with people who don't really play or understand sports where they think, I'm not going to name names because I've done it before, but I used to tour with someone who told me they could hit 20 out of a hundred major league fastballs. Nope. And I was like, <laughs> no like you not only wouldn't hit them, you would be nowhere near them. Like yeah. you wouldn't even, you would have to swing before it left the dude's right.
2: hand.
1: That's what always got me. was the fact that you have to start your swing before the, before it leaves the pitcher's hand. I'm like, that's just, Insanity.
2: Yeah. You would hit zero. Yeah. (laughs) That's how many.
1: Yeah. Hitting. Yeah. Zero out of a hundred,
0: right? Yep. Yeah. Like hitting a major league, uh, fastballer. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do in sports,
2: especially with all the shit that you see now. Like, um, I'm sure Benny, you follow that pitching ninja guy. Uh, Oh, right. Yeah. So he does all these overlays and the craziest thing is like, okay, so, uh, 98 mile an hour fastball with movement. No way you're touching that. No. But these guys, they can repeat their motion and their arm angle and their release point so well that you have no it looks exactly the same coming out of the hand. And then they'll he'll do an overlay of two pitches, and it'll be like a 98 mile an hour cutter on the black that runs in on a right-handed batter. And then the other pitch is like a 89-mile-an-hour slider that ends up in the left-hand batter's box. But with the same exact – Yeah, they look exactly the same. The plane of the pitch coming yeah. towards the batter is exactly the same. And then the balls just go in two totally different directions.
1: Yeah. Well, see, I can, I, I can do that and actually make one of the balls go literally 360 degrees in a different direction or 180 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> I can throw the same way twice and have like not even – Not even be in the same direction.
0: I think if you only got a baseball to spin 180 degrees, you would be a knuckleballer. Oh, right. That's like no spit. Yeah. For a baseball pitcher. (laughs) See, Brad, this is when you just, you step in, you're out of your wheelhouse, Donnie. I I can't even use the correct words. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even right. So... Yeah, that's crazy though, Riley. I've I've heard about that too. And it seems as if they're gonna have to adjust the rules of baseball to to let people have a chance to hit it anymore, right?
2: Yeah, it's ridiculous. The league as a whole this year is hitting like two thirty. Right. Which is insane. And uh the I think the number of ten plus strikeout games by mm-hmm. starters is higher than it's ever been. Right. You got guys like Garrett Cole. Like, he just... Where did his streak end at? He had, like...
0: Yeah, it was over 50 innings, yeah. It was, like,
2: 60-some-odd innings or something. Or 60 strikeouts without a walk. Yes, yes. Um, and then Corbin Burns in... Uh, Milwaukee who I literally had not heard of until this year. Yeah, I didn't hear about him until fantasy baseball drafts this year. Yeah. Yeah. He he had like fifty some odd strikeouts without a walk and his ERA was like a half a run. It's crazy. You have, have you De, heard DeGrom, any Otani, like all these dudes.
0: Have you heard any like proposed changes to to alleviate it that you're actually down with?
2: Um not not really. Yeah. I mean, they want to move them, or they're experimenting with moving the mound back. Yes.
1: Yeah, just pitch from second base. What the hell?
2: (laughs) Seems really odd to me. Um, Yeah. Just messing with the fabric of the game like that. Sure, sure. Um, I think you can make the strike zone a little bit smaller, but then the umpiring this year has been so bad, (laughs) it seems like, yeah that until Uh you get like robot umps. It's not really gonna matter because you got Which is guys It's also
0: an like, inevitability, right? Like robot umps are coming.
2: You got it. You got guys like Angel
1: Hernandez. Exactly. You can't watch this guy do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not just get a, a like a strike plate or whatever.
0: Yeah, well yeah. once they were giving uh like the fans at home a better idea if it was a ball or a strike than the umpire on the field. Right. Like the second that happened, when I know more than the guy on the field who's been calling balls and strikes for like 45 years, then you should probably switch over to robots,
2: you know, like, yeah, there's some Twitter feed now. I can't remember the handle. It's something like umpire ratings or something like that. Yeah. But they're using that, uh, strike zone and, um, grading umpires on their efficacy. Oh, okay. So you get a good look after every game of how good or bad an umpire is. Who's actually
0: got it out for someone and stuff like that. Yeah,
2: but the, but then there's no accountability. I mean, you right. have guys like Angel Hernandez who legit suck at their job and yeah. everybody knows it and the only reason I know his name is because he's fucking horrible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's like the old like one of three umpires I've ever remembered their name and it's right. like
2: that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But he's been an umpire for years, decades. Did you
0: ever get in a good dust-up with an umpire in your years? Uh, no, not nah. really.
2: I wasn't really chippy with umpires, more so with other players. But um, Oh.
0: Did you have any, like, real, like, kind of, was there someone you would deem, like, your heel, like, your rival going through, like, high school and stuff? Was there, like, another player you really had your eye out for?
2: Um not really. It didn't matter. Yeah. If somebody pissed me off, I would just try to like blow them up at second base, turning a double like trying to break up a double play or I don't know. So I, I was sure. just, I was I, I am a small guy, so I had to be <laughs> kind of scrappy. Right. Yeah. So uh yeah, whatever I could do to get an edge because I had zero physical uh edges. So
0: never charge the
2: mound. No, no, nah, <laughs> I didn't really, didn't really do that. ever. What
0: about walk-up music? Did you get any yet? No. Were you allowed to have it at that age? No. Uh-uh. Oh man. So I'm sure you've thought about it though.
2: Yeah, they might have done it for like a summer showcase kind of right, thing, right but right. I pro- I had pretty bad taste in music then, so well, I'm
0: I, sure you've molded over at this point. So say you just got your random chance like you're getting out there you meet someone with the angels or the padres and they're like hey mm-hmm. riley we <laughs> think you're great you're gonna get one ab this year
2: yeah we need a we need a 46 year old guy who cannot move or hit or throw yeah. anymore yeah, yeah
0: exactly that's, that's my exactly what we're looking for yeah. so uh what what do you come out to
2: i my go-to for the last like five years or so, has been um, Bleed by sugar. Oh, that's nasty. Just No pitcher just, wants to hear that. No. But then I'd just strike out on three pitches and <laughs> right. it came over. Wow, <laughs> yeah. I was so intimidated by that song.
0: <laughs> you got to at least take the first look in just to give yourself a chance. Yeah. <laughs> well, Now, say you had the chance at like 15. If you had a cool coach who was like, everyone's picking their music. What do you think you would have went with? Uh, when I
2: was fifteen, yeah, fifteen. Like you're
0: like a sophomore, 15, yeah. second baseman. What are
2: you um, going for? I was pretty hip hop heavy back at that time, so it was probably probably like NWA or something like that.
0: NWA and Mushuga, two good songs. About <laughs> things have changed to a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, going back to that, man, like I was wondering, you know, obviously you have like the family connection, the music, but like, um, you know, do you remember where uh, kind of that that interest in music beyond, uh, you know, just a casual listening stuff started or was it just kind of embedded in the, the
2: Breckenridge household there? No, not really. I mean, n- neither of my parents played instruments okay my dad was a big jazz guy so we always had jazz on at the house and i didn't get it at all (laughs) and it took me a long time to even understand sure how to appreciate it um my mom was more beatles and zeppelin and classic rock kind of stuff yeah uh, a little stevie wonder nice and she played a little bit of piano but not it wasn't like oh mom's playing the piano now it was like very rare (laughs) yeah right um and I didn't really start playing any instruments. I guess I played trumpet when I was like in sixth grade, but that's like because you have to. Right, right. Um, right. You weren't but, starting your ska uh, band yet or anything. Yeah. I, I, man, I would have been right on track for uh, this revival. Yeah, you would have right caught
0: now. the real big fish wave right at the yeah. perfect time. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I didn't end up taking up drums until my... My senior year of high school. Right. Yeah, I heard that. Because, I, yeah, I was all about sports and I ended up blowing my knee out really bad playing football in the summer, like in a passing league kind of thing, Oh shit! ridiculous.
0: Um, Did, what happened? Did you just get like hit on the knee or was it like kind of non-contact thing?
2: Yeah, it was non-contact. Like it was flag, um, oh, just shit. skill positions. And I ran a deep route and jumped up to catch this pass. And as I came down the free safety was going to pick the pass uh, yeah. and, we, and we collided, but my leg had already hit the ground fuck. and my knee basically bent the wrong direction. Oh no. You got the Sean Livingston. I did. Oh, so fuck. I tore my ACL and my MCL completely. And I had a nice. partial, partial tear of my PCL and uh, a bunch of like cartilage damage. Shit. And yeah, I was on the shelf for like, nine to 10 months. And even at that point, I had to sign a waiver. My doctor wouldn't let me play. And I I had to play because it was my senior year. uh, I had to play baseball. Right. I had to sign a waiver saying that I wasn't going to like sue him if I re-injured it. Fuck. So, I mean,
0: beyond sports, you must have been like proper just put out, like even just as a kid.
2: Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. It sucked. It was not not the way you want to spend your, the beginning of your senior year at high school.
0: Right. You got like all these plans about what's going to happen. And then,
2: yeah. So I, but, I missed, fo- I missed football, uh, all of football season, all of soccer season, half of the baseball season. And I need, I was like losing my mind and I needed something semi physical right, to right. just keep me sane.
0: You were just super and, accustomed to like training and like working yeah. out all the time at that point.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was, I had always been drawn to rhythm and beats. Um, Regardless of the style of music I was listening to. Okay. So ended up getting a a drum kit out of the recycler. Did they have the recycler on the East Coast? No, I don't know what that is. Or like the penny saver kind of thing. I remember the oh yeah, I had a penny
0: saver.
1: Yeah, we had the recycler. Yeah. I feel like I used it in LA maybe. Maybe that's Yeah, no, I think we had the penny
0: saver. That sounds right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I found a super cheap drum kit. You remember how
0: much it costs?
2: Just start playing. I think it was about a hundred bucks. And what was it? No idea. <laughs> La- <laughs> labels were gone. Yeah, like the, yeah. the rap was like all bubbling yes. like yeah. uh corroded rims and lugs. <laughs> Perfect. Um, it had heads on it that had probably been on there since the guy bought the kit in nineteen seventy something right. It's like a cast
0: um, iron pan. it's still got all that <laughs> that voodoo from the seventies on it. It's perfect, yeah. yeah, so it
2: sounded great, and the neighbors loved it when I played it, <laughs> sure, <laughs> and, and the cops never got called
0: um and you just jump be- like you just randomly bought the kit and jumped behind and started teaching yourself, or did you have like any assistance?
2: No, I just started teaching myself.
0: Oh, wow. And what was yeah. like your method? Like just tried to play along with stuff?
2: Yeah, uh very poorly, obviously. <laughs> sure. But um yeah, just trying to figure stuff out and um I, I had friends at school that kind of dabbled in drums, so I could like watch them and try to take away whatever I could. Okay. Um but no lessons until I was probably 24. Oh, okay. And then even then, I took like five lessons and I was like, uh, this is not for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had kind of a similar uh, path
2: with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you sit behind a drum kit and instead of playing the drum kit, they put a practice pad down. Right. And they're just like, yeah, we're just going to do paradiddles." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want to play the drums.
0: Yes. No, you're
2: just going to do rudiments.
0: I went. Yeah. I went through the same exact thing. Okay. Yeah, I went through the yeah. same exact thing. And now, in hindsight, I kind of wish I pounded out the rudiments a little more.
2: Yeah, for Which sure. Probably would have been
0: sure. helpful, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I, ha- I have that. But then also, the more I listen to stuff, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Aaron Steele, the drummer. He uh, He's played on like... Dude,
1: I know Aaron. I used to hang with him at Rubber Tracks. He was there all the time.
2: He. Is
1: I love that guy
2: amazing, an amazing player, but he's on a podcast that I was listening to, and he was talking about the importance of like intent in your playing, and mm-hmm. even if you don't have crazy chops if you're playing with intent and you make the notes that you're playing matter and mean mm-hmm. it, and you you think about your dynamics and um just the the spacing of notes and stuff like that, it's so much more important than like trying to fit all of the chops into a song.
0: Man, totally. It's it's nice to hear it put that way. Cause I mean, really in essence, like I'm, I guess I'm an all intent drummer mm-hmm. <laughs> cause it's like, I have none of the other stuff and that's like all I think about. So that's why yeah. I say, I wish I practice rudiments more. <laughs>
2: yeah. I wish I had it from a technique standpoint just right. cause I, I've had to go back and try to unlearn a lot of really bad habits. Sure, sure. Um,
0: just what or what? Like, what? What are the the bad habits that you picked up? the The worst
2: habit I have is tension in my oh. playing, for sure. Like, huh. and you can see it in every photo I've ever had taken of me playing the drums. I look like I'm <laughs> shitting myself and <laughs> having an aneurysm at the same time. It's just awful. But that's just how I learned to play. Like part of yeah. part of the reason I got into drumming was cause I needed like a physical outlet. So I wanted to just beat the shit out of my drums. Yeah, sure. Um, so that's just kind of how I learned. And, um, and then the combination of like wanting to beat the crap out of stuff. And then I think a lot of people, uh, who play, you know, punk or hardcore or metal probably go through this phase where you're like, if it's fast, it's good.
0: Yes, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so fast and tense does not work together very yeah, well. Right. So there was like a lot of tension in my playing, and then I was trying to play faster and faster, which increased uh-huh. the tension, which limited the speed that I could play at, and yeah, um, just going back and unlearning like twenty-five years of ten. You, Playing tense and yeah. playing angry is how you play and it's funny it's almost like a psychological
0: is game, isn't it like for sure, where, yeah, you get into that that headspace where you need to be like uber perfect, yeah, and it tenses you up it makes you you know uh be able to deliver even even less are you kind of yeah. you're kind of a perfectionist too right like you time. I, I mean I've toured with you
2: I know you hate fucking up <laughs> I do I'm getting better at dealing with it <laughs> right. <laughs> but i used to be really really bad yeah like i remember punch, if you had punching punching like a rough song and shit
0: yeah you'd have a rough song and i'd be like, uh oh riley's pissed he's gonna yeah. he's gonna hit even harder the next one
2: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i've punched a lot of monitors and stabbed drum heads at the end of sets and yeah just caused myself a lot of unneeded stress when you can just kind of laugh that shit off like nobody's perfect yes and, uh, yeah, I think I teched for, for Weezer for a little while. Okay. Um, not to go on a total left turn, but, no, that's fine. um, during the, the thrice hiatus that we took yeah. and, uh, watching Pat Wilson play really helped me a lot with like mm. just the mental side of stuff. Cause he. He's so relaxed and he has so much fun. And if he fucks up, like he just laughs at it. Yeah, he thinks right. it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he never got, I never saw him get angry or pissed or like he'd flub a fill every once in a while and just look at me and start cackling. Yeah, right. I'm like, this guy's in one of the biggest bands in the world. And he just fucked up in front of like 20,000 people. Granted, not a huge fuck up, but yeah. And he just laughed it off. And now he's on back on track again and playing great. So, yeah, I mean, I think
0: I came to the same conclusion at some point where I realized my reaction to it is the only thing people saw too. Totally. You know, it's like they didn't hear me flub a fill like under my cymbals, you know, as long as I came back in on the one. Right. But they definitely saw me going, fuck. You know, yeah. or like, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I yeah. realized that. And I was like, oh, like, got to act as if, you know, be smooth up there. Right. I mean, Blue style,
1: dude, every mistake is fully intentional unless you react like that.
0: That's yeah. right. And uh, I think it was the second drummer from Petty also said, not Stanley, the guy after him, Uh, said that if you do it once, it's a mistake. If you do it twice, it's an arrangement. Mm hmm. And I'm all about that, like especially totally. live. You know, you got to put that pepper on it, right? Yeah. Um. So what kind of like uh, you felt like kind of that wisdom as you've gotten older where you've been able to like let go of that a little more? It doesn't feel as singularly important when you're just playing like one show, one part.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's, that stuff starts to snowball too. If you get angry, you get tense, you start fucking up more, you start thinking about like, Oh, what's the next part I'm going to screw up?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah,
2: What field did I mess up last night? Oh, I'm sure I'm going to fuck that up tonight. Yeah, yeah. You fuck it up again. And then, um, yeah, that stuff can just totally snowball. And I mean, you're doing a job, but you also want to have fun. Yes. So why not laugh off the small mistakes and realize that you're going to have a chance to do it better tomorrow, probably. Sure. Sure, sure and uh, most likely just, yeah just just let it roll off off your back that's it
0: you got to be a real true californian about it right <laughs> yeah, i guess yeah the whole tense thing that doesn't vibe with it i even have a i had a question about this because mm-hmm. i'm sort of fascinated by native californians because mm-hmm. being a native new jersey in um some of our personality differences are are vast um just in the way of like handling things, seeing things, dealing with things there's like definitely a large cultural difference and i you know you've you're lifelong Californian, but uh have traveled the world and you know spent so much time with people from other places so besides for weather. You know what really makes that place and the people in it so so unique and remarkable from the rest of the mm. world. Mm.
2: That's tough. I, I feel like there's a misconception that like people in California are laid back, <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> and not necessarily I mean, sure, true.
2: No, I'm sure it's not like. Jersey level wound or like New York level wound <laughs> right, up right. about shit. But, yeah. um, I mean, especially recently, and it depends on where you are in California. Sure. Yeah. Um, like in Orange County, where I'm from, people are pretty tense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Been a lot uh, of work yeah.
2: and impatient and mm-hmm. entitled and, uh, selfish <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know that's a very broad sure. brush stroke, but
0: but kind um, of acting what I would assume and like anti-Californian
2: almost yeah yeah it, it's it's far less laid back than um, I think a lot of people think yeah
0: that's probably true I guess the LA freeways are some indication of that oh Christ yeah but uh I mean but like what like but there is a note, I mean, even, even so like we might have that misconception, like it's got, there's something to it, right? Like even I asked, do you, I don't know if you know the guy, uh, Hammer who owns uh, violent gentleman. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, I got at the last mercy union tour, I spent a night at Hammer's house and you know, we're playing some NHL hockey. I should say mm-hmm. he was wiping the floor with me in NHL hockey and I was just having some fun. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we had a conversation there that stood out to me because we were talking about sleep. And, you know, Brad can attest to this. Like, a native New Jersey and a New Yorker, like, I don't know if I've ever met one who can just, like, go to sleep at night. You know what (laughs) I mean? Who's, like, doesn't need a drink, doesn't need a smoke, doesn't need a pill, doesn't need to do yoga to calm down. Like, some shit. Because we're just, like, so... And I was talking to him about sleep. And he's just like, yeah, you know. Fall asleep when I'm tired. Usually uh <laughs> usually sleep about ten hours and then like wake up uh rested. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's that, uh, not a thing.
2: He's you know? a unique being though. So like he's, he's unique. Okay. Yeah, he's very mellow and <laughs> he is very mellow. I, I don't think I've ever seen him in a bad mood. Yeah, same. And if I mean if I have, he definitely hasn't let on that he's okay. in a bad mood. Yeah. But um yeah, like uh That's like mood goals for me, (laughs) It's Hammer. Like, he's always up. He's always down to do stuff and help people and um, always positive. And I have a hell of a time sleeping. So maybe I should move to Jersey. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, maybe. My mom's from New York, so maybe that's the problem.
0: Where in New York is your mom from?
2: Upstate. uh, Casanova. It's like a small town, like an hour... I want to say west of Syracuse. Oh, okay.
0: All the way up there. Yeah. That's lake people up
2: there. Yeah. Yep.
0: Strong lake people. Yeah, that could do it. That could do it because that means you have another theory of mine, which is people who have lived through many winters and their families have lived through many winters, their DNA is changed permanently. <laughs> so you have like a salty lake person inside of you you know who has dealt with uh negative 10 degree weather for a long right. period
2: of time yeah yeah, yeah. we don't ha- we don't have winter here we just no. have like <laughs> fire season and uh oh wow it's raining kind of oh that's
0: that's I've seen that movie, LA story. This, this is rare, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aren't people are going to go out and like their kayaks and, and stuff. Yep. Right? <laughs> yeah. They forget
2: how to drive. Yeah, it's like drizzling right. and the news crews are out in the street, like yeah. telling people how to prepare for the flood.
0: All right. So maybe the difference to me of California, I mean, maybe I just visit there and it seems, seems different. I mean, and hammer is a uh, a large example one way, I guess it's the same place that produced fat Mike as well, mm-hmm. so yeah
2: <laughs> different vibe there, but I this- think in, in general, it's more laid back i mean just by nature, like when I go to New York City, I get anxious as hell, and it's everything's too fast and too crowded, and people are too impatient and yeah so i I feel that. And I get right. anxious in
0: California like when I order something and I'm like, uh, are you people fucking working or <laughs> are you taking a nap here? I'm like, how long does it take to make my sandwich, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got to relax. Um, so this is a perfect... I, I I have a section on the friend here called, called Mystery Friend, where I go back and grab a story from your past. Oh, no. I would like you to... Uh, <laughs> Dive into this story for me a little bit. Tell me the details and then guess which one of your mystery friends told me. I
2: hope I remember it.
0: It sounds like you will (laughs) based on this one. Sometimes these are a little iffy. I'd be surprised. So apparently you rented a bus from a company called Why Not, which seems to be your first mistake. Yeah. Um, And there was a driver (laughs) named Chop. Okay, yeah. And I heard about, uh, you know, one night he's showing you videos of his old cool cars. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, something involving like the devil's dick appeared and then kind of brushed <laughs> off. And then maybe the following <laughs> night there was an incident with the same driver and, and penis. I would like to hear the story from your perspective. Oh,
2: man. Um. So this guy chopped. This is in in the u k of course he he's an English guy he is yeah, I can't remember if he was like Welsh or where he was from, but he had like a crazy mullet this this had to be like two thousand eight ish maybe yeah 2006 I don't know so the mullet the mullet was like I don't think he was aware enough for it to be like ironic. <laughs> like an yeah. Irene, not yet. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was totally one of those like rocker bus driver guys that like definitely does not play in a band but thinks he does, right? Probably, right? right, right, right. Um, lots of piercings, lots of tattoos, cool glasses, the <laughs> quote unquote cool haircut, yeah, 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 um, and he did have a tattoo of the devil uh, around his penis and then... So what was his the penis?
0: Pe- like the nose? The tongue. Oh, of course. I guess. That's Wait, a, and how did, an how did you discover tongue. this? It was just shown to us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just like- so he's that kind of bus driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just the one day walked one. into the lounge just being like, You all want to see the devil's dick kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) You want to see me
2: cock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know how you have like bus drivers that are like, all right, I drove you to the place. I'll see you later. Yeah. And they leave. And then you have the bus driver that's like, think I'm just going to sit in the front lounge for four hours and tell stories. Crack a couple bottles of wine. And yeah. Totally. Yeah. yep, Totally feel safe driving with that guy at night (laughs) while I'm sleeping or trying to sleep. (laughs) Yes. Um, so he had that penis tattoo, um, and then we went out. We had a day off. We were in one of those uh, British car parks, like by a train station or a stadium or something. Where oh, the like Tesco. Eight, yeah, like eight million cars parked. Yeah, you're probably in at a the Tesco, structure. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we went out to dinner, and we came back, and we noticed that the lights were on in the bus. Okay. And I think the door was open. Oh, good. Uh, not not wide open, but like unlocked, which was yeah. weird. Yeah, not good. Walked upstairs. And I think there was a, in the the upstairs lounge, there was some sort of like motorcycle porn <laughs> playing on the TV. <laughs> like sex on motorcycles.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha.
2: Just the, the kind of movies that those guys watch.
0: Yeah, um, dudes who need to see carburetors to get off.
2: Right, right. <laughs> I know the big, time. Yeah. big handlebars <laughs> and big dicks. Yeah, and big dicks. <laughs> <laughs> it's my thing, man. Um, and then uh, the vacuum cleaner was out. Okay, but it didn't didn't look as if any vacuuming of floors or. Cushions had been done. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. We're just like, what the fuck happened here? Like maybe, maybe he's outside smoking a cigarette. Like the bus driver's outside smoking a cig. Couldn't find him. And then my drum tech at the, at the time, uh, peeked into the driver's seat and the driver was sitting in the driver's seat with his pants at his ankles passed out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> With his demon cock, <laughs> and uh, we thought he was dead.
1: We thought yeah. he like
2: <laughs> was watching some motorcycle porn and using the vacuum for something. Yeah. I don't know. Got a little tired. <laughs> went down to the the driver's seat. Maybe cranked a bag or something and then uh, his heart exploded and then died yes right. (laughs) and we were gonna have to deal with it um he ended up waking up and i don't think anybody asked him about what happened but really um, yeah no one brought it up i don't think i talked to him for the rest of the tour i was just like all right so you think it it was one of those
0: like mutual like okay you saw this yeah let's just carry on and finish this one out kind of thing
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: So he was. Yeah. So he was sitting upright in the driver's seat, feet at his ankles, devil's dick in his hand.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. passed
0: out. So yeah. what was he doing back there? <laughs> was he like cleaning and just <laughs> you know like just was like stoked on the vibration? It's just like I'm right, gonna
2: do this real quick. <laughs> like. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Like, I probably wonder, probably just
2: cleaning and watching a movie, you know, yeah. just normal, normal <laughs> guy stuff, right? Watching, yeah.
1: I don't know, watching porn with a vacuum cleaner sounds like sketchy,
2: yeah. I, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, or fun, us doesn't like to clean and watch motorcycles, <laughs> or
0: fun, Brad. You proved. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's intense. Yeah. And it makes perfect, I mean, I know exactly the type of person you're talking about. I probably have hung out in a circle at a festival somewhere with this guy. Um, so, all right, great story. Appreciate it. Any idea yeah. which one of your mystery friends
2: told me this tale? Oh, man. Is he in my band? He is not. Okay. Um, wow. Could be my drum tech at the time which was John Kenna.
0: Oh, I do still talk to John Kenna from time to time, but it was not,
2: not John Kenna.
0: And actually that is a doubly hilarious part of this story that John Kenna, one of the few people I've seen fondle himself very often, (laughs) just in a normal circumstance is the one who found the devil's dick. That adds another layer of this that I appreciate. Yeah.
2: Too perfect.
0: But it was not John. It was not John Kenna. Huh?
2: Mike Shoemaker? Mm Mm-mm. No. Good Lord. You want a hint? Yeah.
0: This is the guy I call, right? If I need Mm -hmm. to get three trucks worth of cement down to Secaucus, New Jersey, in under a day.
2: Three trucks.
0: (laughs) All right. I got to give it to you. It's Joe Canetti.
2: Oh, my God. Joe Canetti.
0: Joe Canetti. Nice. Yeah, that was the man who told me. What a great story! Goodness gracious!
2: Yeah, that's a uh, that's one for the ages. Isn't and it always that-
0: funny? You just walk into these situations. Like, I-, I mean, so many times I've walked onto a bus when it's just been like, oh yeah, this guy came highly recommended from someone else, <laughs> yeah. and you just walk. You fly like fourteen hours from somewhere. You barely know what the fuck is going on, and you walk into this like giant machine. Mm-hmm. with great capabilities and just some rando you've never met in your life. Yeah. You're like, oh, hi. Here's like me and all my best friends' lives, like yeah. in your hands. Nice You'll to be meet you. you in charge of this? Okay, yeah. great. I'm going to pick. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. What if this was the one day this guy was just like, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him and he tried speed, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of touring, uh, I had heard a quote in another interview that said, that you wouldn't be a band without hot water music's influence and like the things mm-hmm. they taught you early on about touring. Mm-hmm. Is it that's that's a true statement? What, what what were they they really like took you under their wing those early tours?
2: Yeah, we did um we did the Take Action Plea for Peace tour in 2001 and it was like our right. first um legit US tour.
0: Yeah, I remember that I saw it. I believe at the either the Birch Hill nightclub or the Starland Ballroom, one of those two.
2: Oh yeah, um, and it was them and Alkaline Trio yeah. and Cave In and uh, Selby Tigers, and wow. it was the the bottom half of the bill. I think it was something crazy like eight bands or something on the bill, or wow. maybe six. But yeah. the bottom half of it kind of kept changing depending on the markets we were in. Okay. Um, But we were the youngest band pretty much. uh, And we were on the whole thing because our label was responsible for putting it on. I was at Hopeless at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, those bands were all established and uh, successful and, seasoned and could have very easily just been like, ah, oh, whatever these dipshits from California, like don't know what they're doing and <laughs> right. whatever. We'll just leave them to their devices and then the tour will be over. Sure. Right. right but right. they were all super nice to us and nice. hot water music, especially just really kind dudes. And like, yeah, they hung out with us. They, we, they, they let us like, pick their brains about gear and parts. I probably drove George crazy <laughs> asking him about everything about drums and sure. everything about the songs and how he played certain fills and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And I think I did just, the same thing to George. <laughs> yeah. Just to be able to have that experience that early in our mm-hmm. career, I think was just so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And getting to watch Kevin at that time, play sure. every night. That was like, Pete gave in for me. Yeah, that was, was like, like what? Like right
0: around like Jupiter, right? Yeah, right after yeah. Jupiter oh, came yeah.
2: out and like... They were on fire. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like doing like Dazed and Confused by Zeppelin, right. that yeah. cover. Uh-huh. And they were just so good every night. And watching those dudes just kill it.
0: And I'm sure getting heckled every night for not playing their old
2: shit. To- totally. And time. just being like, fuck it, we're doing what we want. Ah. You can either watch it or not watch it. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to do what we want. Um it was so such a formative experience, like just to be able sure. to be around those dudes and have them be nice and uh let us ask them questions about stuff and um uh, I just think we learned a lot and it gave us like a good base to draw from as we moved forward. Yeah. Cuz we didn't know what the hell we were doing.
0: What were the, just out of curiosity, I mean, because...
2: We still don't. <laughs> I mean, who
0: does? Right. If this last year taught us anything. It's that nobody knows anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, like when you were around, in it that, you know, because that was obviously, you know, to young hardcore kids, that was, you know, headline fucking news, you know, the, the stuff that was happening. We were all talking about it. You know, the fact, oh, my God, they're on tour and they're not playing until your heart stops. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Um, Like, what was their vibe and approach when they were going into that that, like, made them really feel okay about that pivot? And is that like something that helped you guys kind of kind of do the same thing?
2: It definitely helped us seeing seeing them. I don't know. I, I mean I can't speak to why they decided that it was okay to do that, but right. just the the conviction and the like solidarity they had where they were just like we are gonna do what we wanna do and if it bums people out then it bums people out, but we're making the music that we wanna make hmm. and it, you know, if we flame out doing that, then that's better than being like a jukebox and going on stage and just playing the same songs we've been playing for X amount of years. Sure. Um, I mean, it sounds good,
0: but that takes a lot of like gumption and for, for a young band to even like be that steadfast about it. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, and for, for us, like we didn't get to a point where we kind of considered that until like four years later. But I mm-hmm. think there were definitely some conversations amongst the thrice guys where we we're like, well, Caven did it. You just gotta believe in yourself and like stay true to your vision and see what happens,
0: yeah, totally, yeah well I mean, what were the internal conversations for you all like when that was happening? Was there you know people pushing one way and people a little more you know resistant and scared, or was it really like a like a four headed monster like hey, we're doing this like
2: like we're full in there there are varying levels of confidence in our band <laughs> like <laughs> some people in the band are like we can do this others are like i don't know if we should do this and some are like uh ah, i don't care whatever like, who's the highest um i think dustin is probably the most uh confident musically okay um maybe not so in other areas you know everybody's got their own stuff that they deal with whether it's like anxiety or uh you know whatever else but like i feel like um dustin has a good sense of when he's on to something and he's
1: hmm.
2: not going to really waver from it like yeah, he's, he's right. better at seeing it through than the rest of us are sure Sure. Like, I might write something and be like, "This is cool," and then the other guys are like, "Eh, I don't know." And I'll be like, "Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> right, make right. it into something else." Yeah. Instead right. of being like, "No," like, "I want it to be this." Like, yeah. I know this we can is the make way. it this. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. At that time, I would say there there was pressure from the label, not like overt. Like you have you have to make this. Kind of record again, but we could kind of sense that um, when we were on island, we had made the artist in the ambulance, and that was our most successful record, right. and they wanted something similar to that as a follow up mm-hmm. to keep. I think it would have been easier for them they're just like, oh yeah, it's just the same thing, and we just do the same things that we did last time, right. and that 's how we'll move forward exactly, and we wanted to do something else and um, stuck with it. And thankfully, we had uh, management who stood behind us and were like, This is what the guys want to do. They want to take more time to write it. It's going to be different. And there might not be a ton of singles on it. And then we made Visu, and the label was kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, this is different. <laughs> right. So we'll see what we can do with it. Yeah. And that's kind of what that was. And then we were under contract to do another record with them and then we did the alchemy index which was that like super yeah. fractured uh ambitious kind of yeah. four ep thing yep. and the label got that and they were just like well, we don't know what to do with this like this is not going to work for us
0: was it was it the fact was it the music or was it like the the presentation that you guys broke it up into like four eps and that
2: kind of thing i think it was a little bit of both yeah so how do we release this? How does it make any sense? How come there are no singles on this? Sure, like what are we supposed to push to radio or video? Um, and we we're just like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you guys what- must have
0: known that that could have been a potential problem, right? Like were you prepared internally for there to be like, you know uh, a negative reaction or getting dropped or something? Were you considering that when you were writing it?
2: Um, it wasn't something we discussed, but it seemed like it was a risky move. Right. And I think we were all aware that it was risky, but it felt like the right thing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it ended up being beneficial. I mean, I don't know how. I and mean, we're in a good, good spot now. And I think, you know, everything we've done up to this point, good or bad, has been a part of that journey so who knows where we would have ended up if we would have, have succumbed to label pressure yeah totally or or just like our own self-doubt right. and kind of just been like oh yeah i guess we can make like uh whatever they were calling the music at that time a screamo record <laughs>
0: right yeah I and mean, what was it like in the with the early 2000s kind of rush um i mean i read in a Another interview, you said you had a bunch of sketchy meetings with big-time producers. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like what was it like for you all when you were going from hopeless to the major? And what was kind of like, uh, I knew what was going on in the scene. Like, to you, to you all, what was mm-hmm. kind of the imagined trajectory of, of what was coming down the pike?
2: It It was surreal and exciting and scary. And like way too much to process <laughs> right. at the time. Yeah. Like it's hard to have any perspective. Um, and a lot of it seemed at the time seemed like a blur. And then I go back and I try to remember it and there are bits and pieces. But all I remember is just like being gone a lot, being very busy, mm-hmm. um, which at the time was not a terrible thing for me because I was, single and uh you know i wanted to be busy and touring and i didn't have anything at home that i needed to attend to um but it was just wild like it was just tour after tour after tour and i'm sure you guys did that too yeah gaslight um tour after tour after tour and like there's no time to like come up for air and get Get perspective on what's happening. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, we set up this meeting. You're like, you're going to Rick Rubin's house. What? <laughs> Holy fuck. That's crazy. Like, yeah. I text my high school buddies that I was in a band with, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to fucking Rick Rubin's house. This <laughs> right. is insane. And they're like, what? That's so crazy. Um, so you went to the estate? Yeah. We went to his house and we had a, a chat with him. Nice. And he sat uh, in yoga position and a white t-shirt and some very short shorts and talk to us about music and it was it was rad the yeah. whole time though i was just like is this real <laughs>
1: right. like am i really doing this <laughs> yeah. is there
2: really a giant stuffed bear over there by the <laughs> <shell?"> <laughs> it was so bizarre but so so cool what's um, it like
0: like getting into the estate of rick do you just drive up and you're like hi we're we're thrice
2: yeah, I think there was a gate and then like an assistant came out and led us through the garden and through the house and, uh, it was wild. And we just sat down in like this study or, or library or something yeah. to the best I can remember. So that and, wasn't uh, one
0: of the sketchy ones. That was just a fun one. No, that was cool. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> we had some other ones, um, One was with a guy who produced like a Hoover Stank record and a My Chemical Romance record and a bunch of big kind of rock records around that time. And you could just tell he was like big shot producer guy. And he was like, so here's where we track. And then we send your drum tracks into this guy who chops them up and puts them on a grid and turns them into like Uh (laughs) replaces everything with samples. (laughs) Like it it was totally that like chop shop style studio. Yikes. We're like, okay, you're not recording the band. You like, we come in here and we make some noises and then somebody builds us a record. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm responsible for, four of the top charting rock ballads on radio right now. And You know, I think we can get that out of you. And and Ed's like... Wait,
0: let me yeah, ask so you we... in your head, what was this guy wearing?
2: Oh, dude, what do you think he was wearing? All right. A- L.A. producer, but I think he's from Philly.
0: All right, let me guess. Like
2: East Coast.
0: Um, Like <laughs> sneakerhead type sneakers, either like Air Maxes or... Or some kind of like mm-hmm. high top.
2: Keep um, in mind, this guy's probably like 55 at the time.
0: Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, still good. Yeah, okay. um, Checks out. <laughs> yeah. Very expensive, dark blue jeans. Um, A very expensive T-shirt with like an accompanying like blazer for no reason. Uh, again, very like a little balding, but like the hair that's still left on his head, clearly like just silk. Um, yes yeah that's what i'm getting how am
2: i close not the natural color no Um, no no, no. (laughs) like a just for men ad yeah um it must have been off day i could totally see him in that gear but he was wearing like the full sweatsuit
0: oh like
2: pimpy east coast dad like full sweatsuit
0: oh man that's even worse
2: yeah Yeah. and some really nice glasses
0: because then that throws in kind of like the like
2: wait are you in the mafia or are you making mm-hmm. records like yeah yeah had that vibe for okay. sure and um my brother ed started asking about like yeah you know like we want to do some experimenting on this record and get creative with like mic placement and mixing and stuff and he like chuckled and he's like huh, we'll make your experimental record buddy Oh, yes. And we're just like, okay, guy, oh <laughs> that's like a really uh, fucked up answer wow. to like a genuine question coming yeah. from Ed, who's just like the like kindest and most unassuming. Yes, dude, yes. Where he's just like, um, yeah, so we we kind of want to um get more <laughs> experimental on this record. And just like, oh, yeah, sure, dude.
0: Oh, my God. It's so tacky. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: Then we had another one. This is a good one. Where uh, we we went to the the label office and got walked back to this dude's office, and he just happened to be listening to our last record very loud. Oh, when we were standing outside the office <laughs> waiting oh. to be let in. How strange! And then we will open the door, and he's like, "Oh, whoa, wow, yeah, ha. oh, you uh, surprised me." <laughs> yeah sorry man. today's
0: arms and back i usually right. do a thousand <laughs> yeah <laughs> it
2: was like oh man i can't get enough of that record such a cool record oh my god yeah this is an a and r guy so right. he wanted to he wanted to sign us uh um, was like
0: oh you guys surprised me even though we had a very scheduled meeting at this time <laughs> right
2: right <laughs> you know like, my assistant just uh sent me a message saying you're coming yeah uh <laughs> I had no idea you were going to be here.
0: Meaning he put it on 45 seconds before and was listening to like like a Sade record just before. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and then uh, at some point during that meeting, he was like, Are you guys familiar with the band The Refused? <laughs> and we were like, Refused? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're familiar. Yeah. Big fans. Sure. He's like, So we have a, a band on this label that covered. The New Noise by Refused. Have you heard of the band Crazy Town? And we were just like, <laughs> oh, my <God>. oh, fuck. <laughs> like, oh
0: my God. Yeah,
2: they're terrible.
0: <laughs> Wait, now I need to know, there is a Crazy Town cover of New Noise? I believe so, yes. Like out in the world? I think so.
2: Wow,
0: I didn't know that yeah. existed. I'm, I'm shuddering thinking about it.
2: Yeah, so okay. we, uh, that was like a selling point to him. <laughs> and oh to god. us, it was like the worst thing he could have said to us. We were just like, "Oh my god, oh my god, there it is, it's real." At the same time, <laughs> we knew somebody, we knew somebody who knew somebody in that office, and the person that was in that office was texting this friend of our manager, just like, "Oh my god, dude, I can't believe how this meeting is going. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, they're totally blowing it, and the guys are just like sitting there." Like with their eyes glazed over, can't believe what they're seeing,
0: yeah, yeah, it's so funny how off base some of those pitches can get. You're like, you're like, who did you think was walking in here, like what is your even right sense of like you know anthropology at all, yeah, to think that this is what like young punk rock people or something would even imagine being into,
2: yeah, well we had a we had a weird one too with uh with l a reed. Oh, really? At at Island. Uh-huh. So we signed with Island and then there was like a huge turnover there. Like yes. uh, the label heads moved to Atlantic. Right. And basically everybody that made up the infrastructure of the label that we signed with was like, yeah, we're leaving now. That's like, so oh, funny. Shit. Same thing that happened to us when we were on <laughs> Island. How strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so then they brought in this new team and the label head ended up being LA Reed and we right. had just put out Visu and we went in to I guess listen to a single with LA Reed. Okay. Which was very odd. Uh, like you
0: at the office, at the house? At the office. Okay.
2: In the city. And we went into his office and it was like all pimped out and um uh, he had, like, this assistant that was, like, putting a jacket, like, put a jacket on him. or something. It was so weird, <laughs> man. And then he had this insane uh, sound system in there, and he started bumping uh, our song Red Sky. Right. And we sat there for, like, four and a half minutes in silence listening to that song with Ellie Reed. What was his and
0: face like when you're going? Th- like, is he doing, like, the... I'm, like, doing closing little- my eyes a little, jamming out to it, or is he...
2: Yeah, a little head bobbing. Okay, just like oh yeah, that right there. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And we're just like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, it was just so so surreal. And I don't think I mean that was kind of at the point where the label was just like, we're not sure what to do with these guys. Yeah, and we just felt it didn't feel real and it didn't feel right. So, huh. uh, it was it was bizarre. Yeah, just weird
0: yeah crazy time i mean like was there a sense at the time that um you know the the grouping of bands who were getting signed you know i guess what would you be lumped in with at that time i guess thursday and you know some stuff like that like in, in your heads with the type of music you were playing did you how much like mainstream success did you all think you were gonna get like did you think it could be you know, we're like a radio ready arena rock band or like were was the expectation lower or different than that?
1: I don't
2: know that we really had any expectation. We were just like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> a cool opportunity. Yeah. Um, we can get our music out to more people and just kind of see what happens. Like, I I don't think any of us had any aspirations of being like an arena band. It was just this, it was a step up from where we were at hopeless. Yeah. And it seemed like one that was worth trying uh, for a short period of time. And it ended up being a good learning experience. And like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I have no regrets about that time because we learned a lot Sure. and we got to experience a lot and play a lot of cool shows and do a lot of cool press. And it was kind of a whirlwind life. Um, didn't seem sustainable. Right. Um, so but it was a fun experience. Kind of, yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad we got to try it. But it definitely wasn't for us. And like we were at Island around the time that they sound, uh, signed Fallout Boy too. Uh huh. And they kind of took the other trajectory. Right. They went with the
0: Chop Shop producer.
2: More or less. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and I mean, look at them now. They're fucking enormous. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, it works for some bands and it doesn't work for other bands. And we were just a band where it wasn't going to work for us.
0: Well, listen, I watched Beyond the Pines video the other day and started crying and fallout boy has certainly never done that to me. (laughs) Come on. Not sad. You don't cry. They've made me cry in different ways. um, I've been like, Oh my God, his jeans are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the way Pete's ass looks. (laughs) No, I could give a fuck about all that. Um, But so, you know, you say like, you know, at the time you learned a lot and, you know, I think one of the remarkable things about thrice is your longevity, especially with the same group, which Mm -hmm. is something we, you know, we talk about a bunch on here, you know, these like really sensitive dynamics and bands and people and these, you know, family dynamics and social dynamics and the things that come into play that, you know, break up and stifle, you know, a lot of bands, I'm sure a million that you've seen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, 20 years of the same lineup and, Seeing so many bands come and go and the things you've seen what what are like the tricks to uh communicate inside of a band like that and and maybe some some mm. little nuggets you would pass down to like a younger band knowing what you know now
2: uh, that's that's tough i mean it's- it's certainly not all smooth sailing and course, we don't have yeah. it all figured out, but
0: conflict has to be a part of it right th- yeah.
2: I, I mean there's something super healthy about having push and pull especially in the creative process like if you're doing it as a collaborative thing and there isn't like one main songwriter in the band um our songs get to where they are because there's a lot of push and pull and arguing over parts and like changing for you know for better or worse and um its Just our part of our process mm-hmm. I think, like any relationship, if you want it to last, you have to work hard at um, at communicating and a key part of that is is listening mm-hmm. and trying to have some perspective on like where stuff's coming from, even if the person presenting the idea is not doing it in a manner that seems like it's easy to do that.
0: Right. Right.
2: Um, and uh, you know, that's, that can be really hard to do sometimes. Um, but I think we're getting, we've gotten a little bit better at it over time. Um, just learning more about each other's personalities and the little nuances and, um, learning when to pick your battles too. Right, right. If you're doing something that's collaborative, it's like, well, if you make a stink about every part or if you want to change every part that comes through, like you have to think about how that is going to come across to Mm -hmm. your bandmates. Like, oh, you have everything figured out? (laughs) Right. You know the right way (laughs) for everything? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, like, how much do I really care about like the transition from this bridge to this chorus? Mm-hmm. Do I really want to go down the rabbit hole of like arguing about it and, uh, trying to find, trying to get it to a place where I like it, right, even right. if it's at the expense of, of the other guys. Um, but then, you know, maybe there's like a a song idea that somebody has that you really like. And it's like, well, that's the battle I'm going to pick. Like I'm going to, I really want to fight, like be an advocate for that part or that song. Um, So yeah, just picking your battles, I guess. And then I think post hiatus, a thing for us that really helped our dynamic was being a little bit more organized with stuff. Hmm. How so? Um, We started using this program called Asana. Okay. That is basically like a, it's an online work management thing, almost kind of like a Slack. Huh. Um, So ideas would get posted there and we'll like hash out uh, demos there, discuss parts there, you know, when we can't be in person to discuss it. Right. And it's been, it's been good because you have like a written record of the evolution of every part and every song, uh-huh. which can be a lot to digest, but it'd be like, okay, well, where did this idea start? Mm. The genesis of this is, oh, this cool baseline that Ed wrote. Okay. And then it like went through all these different phases and then now it's here and here and here and you can just, you can reference the steps you've taken to get a song to a certain point. I know that might not work for everybody. Sure. But I feel like when we were doing stuff in person all the time and didn't have this tool at our disposal, a lot of stuff would just get lost. Ah,
0: yeah, yeah, So you'd be
2: like, oh, yeah, let's work on this idea. And we'd all get in the same room and we'd talk about stuff and then we'd jam stuff out. And then everybody would go home, and then we get back together like three days later. And was that like, hey, idea? <laughs> yeah. So wait, what did we do? Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. Oh. And then like, even if you have a recorded demo of it, you're like, wait, how did it get? Yeah. How did it get to this part? Like, uh-huh. Why did we change the key? And like,
0: so it's like you said earlier in the interview, it's almost like uh, understanding the intent of the part is is right. so important, right? And so if right. you use this program, then you can understand like. Oh, this is why I wrote that baseline or something.
2: Yeah, Um, and I think just using that as a record and then balancing that with like the the value of being impulsive with some of the decisions you make. Like there are some people who are like, "Oh, first idea, best idea," because it's just your natural reaction to a part or an idea. Um, that's something that I. I tend to battle a lot where I'm like, well, maybe if I work on this more, it'll be better. And a lot of times you can just fuck stuff up if yeah, you keep going, showing sure. it going. So it's
0: a tough balance right there. Yeah.
2: yeah. It really helps to be able to be like, Okay, so when we jammed on this for the first time in September of last year, like, what does that sound like?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: I'm just playing to like what I'm hearing. I'm not thinking about all this other stuff. And then trying to find a balance between like thoughtfulness and, and impulse. Yeah, sure. So that's, that's cool. That's how we've done it. Well, yeah. It's
0: interesting too. I mean, so much of what you're saying about you know uh, not just listening to someone else, but really trying to understand like where they're coming from and and internalizing it, and also you know reading the people around you and where they're at. I mean, so much of it seems to just come down to like basic empathy right? Mm-hmm. Like just totally. the ability to like see yourself in someone else's shoes and accept it the way they would accept it, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally.
0: Well, we need more empathy. Um, speaking Fuck of yeah, balance, <laughs> you got to explain something to me, okay? Yeah. I know because of your social media and stuff like that, that you're a an avid runner. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's taken the place of, you know, the same way drums took the place of sports for you. I think it seems like running is taking the place of drums and playing shows in the, in the interim. Um, Yeah. So something you got to explain to me. I've never been a big runner Mm -hmm. and, but I've lived in cities and, you know, I've seen a thousand runners and I got to say, like, it's pretty much a thousand for a thousand that runners always look like they're in pain (laughs) and miserable And like kind of fighting and like, this is, they look look like (laughs) uncomfortable and angry and out of breath. And I'm like, oh my God, I would never want to do that. So you got to explain to me how look like, you know, if I'm reading this face, I cannot understand how this is a psychological tool for people and how it's basically meditating. So when your body looks like that, what's actually going on in the inside that makes this (laughs) pleasurable, like at all?
2: yeah um it sucks (laughs) there's like a there's a comedian i think uh his name's ivan decker and he has a bit on running um something about like how unnatural it is to do it like in a in a joyful way right because it's something that was developed to like get your body away from danger right (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> or to, like, chase food mm-hmm. that you need to eat because right. you're going to die if you don't eat it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so it sucks. And I think there's also a saying that's like, uh, it never stops sucking or something. that You just get a little bit faster. <laughs> so it's over sooner.
0: Okay. It's <laughs> um, an awful sales pitch. Keep going. Right.
2: Yeah. It sucks. It does get... It, it does... Uh, It becomes a little less painful. I I don't know what I look like. I'm sure I look terrible and pained like everyone else.
0: You're very fit. You probably look okay. Uh,
2: No, probably not. I mean, (laughs) if you have seen my drumming pictures, uh, (laughs) uh, I probably look like that, which is in pain or (laughs) having an accident in my running shorts.
0: Um, (laughs) um, Not having an accident, actually just squeezing one out like you can't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Almost
0: more like you can't shit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Um, it's been good for me because um, I have two young kids, and being that I'm home and not on tour, um, the dad duties have increased. So I don't have a lot of time to myself. Yeah. So if I want to have a little bit of time for myself during the day, I need to get up early, get out, and run and listen to some music and it just the stuff that it does for my head Mm. and my body like it keeps me in shape uh it like clears my clears my plate like mentally okay you know people talk about the runner's high that is a real thing
0: is it because like you're like uh actively thinking through things while you're running or is it that like you're able to kind of see through things a little more like meditation or something.
2: Uh, I I would say I use it for both. Okay. Like if I have a lot of stuff that I need to think about, I can go out on a run and like, there's nobody bothering me. Like I don't have to worry about, about kid saying that they need some food or they need to take a dump or like my wife asking me to do something or like the band needing something. Um, so I've got nobody to bother me. Yeah, I can either think about that thing that I need to think about while I run, uh, or I can do the clean slate thing. Or with the music, if I've got a record on that I really, really like, I can listen more intently. Oh, okay. Um, which I, I'm sure you can do that yeah. when you're just sitting down somewhere. But right. there's something about the combo of the running high and listening to the music and thinking about what the music is doing and and, uh, the intent of the people playing it. Yeah. It's been really good for me. And, I mean, the last 16 months or whatever has been super tough for everybody. Um, Why is that? Well, (laughs) (laughs) see, there's this thing. Uh, um, Yeah, so it's helped me not just sit and dwell on that shit and Mm -hmm. like not being able to tour and, um, you know, a loss of income and, uh, fucking people dying and losing their jobs and shitty politics and stuff like that. So it's helped keep me on a, a bit more of an even keel mentally and it's helped me physically. And, it's not super painful for me, and the the runner's high is so worth it. Like mm-hmm. even the mornings where I'm just like, I really don't want to do this. Right. If I make myself get get out there and do it, I have like a way better day than huh. if I choose choose not to run. And it's awesome. It's not for everybody, but it it works for me. And I I've always hated running. <laughs> I mean, playing sports. Running was punishment. That's like what you did if you missed a sign
0: yeah, right, in baseball right. or like yeah, take a lap you
2: lost lost a basketball game by thirty points or right. something. Like you just run lines. Like um, but it's it's become something that's good for, for my brain and my body, and I will do it until my body falls apart, probably.
0: That's awesome. What are we talking distance wise here? What are we racking up?
2: Um I generally do five to seven miles a day, wow. four to five days a week. That's good. That's really yeah. good. Are you last year last year I did a I really got hooked last year, which it worked out well because of the, the pandemic, but Jeremy Berman from Q Drums is also a runner. Oh, okay. Um, and he challenged me at NAM last year. He's like, You think we can do a thousand miles this year? I'm like, oh, dude, you're fucking crazy. There's no way I can do that. And uh, so he put that goal out there for me, and I ended up doing it, and it was enjoyable. How long did it
0: take you to get to a K? Uh,
2: I think I hit a K. I had a really bad start because we were on tour at the beginning of last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I ended up getting to a 1,000 by... I want to say late October or early November. Not bad. You had a cushion and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, running a lot last year made me realize how much I I really enjoy it. Plus, I get to I get to listen to music while I do it, and then I share that music with people on Instagram, and it seems like people enjoy totally the recommendations. So
0: yeah, I saw your website too, and I was like, or the Tumblr blog about it, and I was uh, oh yeah. I was honestly shocked. I'm like, a guy Riley's age, this is really impressive for how much (laughs) like new music you're taking in all the time. I was like I was honestly inspired by it. I'm like, Uh, I buy like six records a year and he just ripped off like fucking forty, like that he just listened to while he was running. I'm like, that's good. That's good.
2: I just I try to find something new to listen to every day. Yeah. And then go from there and sure. uh, had somebody ask, they're like, do you listen to any music that like you don't like? <laughs> and I was like, why the fuck would I do that? I <laughs> sure. hate, run- I, like, yeah. running sucks. Why would I yeah. give it a soundtrack that's awful? Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I needle that. drop stuff before I take it out on a run. And yeah, I, yeah. I, And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I might like this. So Does metal get you worked
0: up at all? Because I, doing some research for this, I stumbled into a YouTube wormhole last night where I wound up on some Nice every time I die videos, Parkway Drive videos, Comeback mm-hmm. Kid stuff. And it was like 1130 at night and I was ready to like smash up my office. <laughs> like does it, I love, do you like like heavy metal. music to run? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. What's the, what's got like the best gallop, like the perfect speed for running? Mm. Iron Maiden? Too fast. Oh, Ma- too
2: fast. Maiden's pretty good. It's too fast though. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: You need like like more I, of like a trot, if, like a curveller tack thing or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. A wow. little like mid-tempo metal, or you can go double time on some super doomy, sludgy stuff.
0: Oh, oh, okay. So you go two steps to one
2: beat for sludge? I think so. I don't think about it too much. but Oh, I'm yeah.
0: sure you're running in rhythm. It's got to be happening.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, every once in a while, I'll like look at my time after a run and if it's something particularly... Bit spazzy and heavy, I bet. Whoa, okay. Oh, pants, pants were on fire for that one. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: All right. So I have a last question here that I saved for last in case you hate it. Okay. Okay. Um, so we have something strange in common. Well, not strange, but interesting that I wanted to see about. So we're both drummers with mm-hmm. Christian singers in both of our bands, right? Oh, you know? Okay. Um And you know, for me, it's never really been a big thing because it was like pretty communicated from the start where everyone was at. And when it, you know, came into play via interviews or fans, you know, it was never particularly uncomfortable. And I wondered if you and Dustin ever had, um, not not a confrontation, but like a conversation about how you're going to present that stuff and and where you stand on it, and how much you want to take it on—like, was that something that was discussed in the band? Um,
2: not, not a ton. Um, I mean, it was pretty well established from the get-go that that was going to be his angle for a while. It's definitely not his angle now. He is, right. uh, he is reformed. And I'm not going to try to explain it, but maybe that's for a podcast with him. Yeah, yeah,
0: I know he went on his own own journey in a lot of ways. Yeah,
2: there have been a lot of changes there. And uh, his lyrics over the last three records or so, uh, including the one that uh, we'll be putting out at some point this year, hopefully. um, It's definitely changed. It's less steeped in that religious stuff um we never really discussed it a bunch i was always okay with it because i'm like i want this guy to be singing about stuff that he's passionate about Mm -hmm. and if it is life through that lens as long as it's not like super heavy-handed or um condemning Mm -hmm. I think I'm okay with it, like using the Bible as uh, for for imagery and and metaphors and stuff like that. I I, I didn't really have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say like some of the lyrics on Major Minor are a little heavy handed, okay. but that was like right before we took a hiatus, and there was a bunch of weird stuff going on anyway. Yeah, right. Um, And
0: did you talk about it at the time or you just kind of saw him and was like, Oh, that's getting a little heavy or did. Was it actually like communicated? No, we didn't
2: really talk about it much. Um, he holds his lyrics pretty close to the vest or at least he used to. Okay. Um, he's getting a little bit more open about it, but, um, for a while there it was just like, lyrics are done and I'm singing today. And it's like, Whoa. Okay. Okay, (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, but I never, I you know, I never had a problem with it. I want him to sing about stuff that he's passionate about, and uh, I want him to mean what he's saying because um, I think that is honest. And sure. um, so I'm okay with that as long as it's not like offensive or condemning. And Did I you never ever deal like with any backlash
0: was. on the other side? Because I know I had a couple. Like you know, I'd be in an interview; it'd be kind of like innocuous. Be like a German guy asking me about you know new record and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, ah, what do you think about your uh, singer thinking these people would burn in hell? (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, whoa, Bjorn. Like when the fuck did we get there? You know?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever have any shit like that?
2: Um, I think a few times, but I always was just kind of like, you know what? You're going to have to talk to him about that. Like, that's not my place to comment. Yeah. Heinrich, Um,
0: take it easy, you know? Yeah. Easy newt.
2: (laughs) We, uh, we had some, we've had some conversations over the years, um, to varying degrees about, um, faith. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes they got contentious cause I've never really, I like lost, lost my way with the church. Like when I was about 17, like I was brought up in the church okay, and then decided that it was not for me around 17 or 18 did anything like <clears throat> acute
0: happen or is just a growth kind of thing
2: um i think just as i got older and there's also like a level of like that you're 17 or 18 and you think you know everything <laughs> right yeah so i was like <laughs> what the fuck is this stuff like mm-hmm. um but it just seemed like um a lot of horseshit to me, and a lot of uh, the people in my church seemed very judgmental, mm-hmm. which seemed wrong to me. Okay. Um. So it just it soured me on that stuff, and then I went away to college, and it was a Pepperdine is like a Christian university, and I would like skip out on my religious classes. Um, <laughs> I was pretty anti, but at that um, point, yeah. Yeah. But
0: uh yeah, I mean how are you doing Faith in the house like uh with the kids and stuff for you?
2: Mm it's a cool story. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> they they go to a a, a Lutheran preschool okay. right now. Um not because we're Lutheran or not because uh, for any reason other than like it was recommended and it's safe, and we have friends who put their kids through it, and they 're not super religious sure and it it's not like a a part of their teaching, but every once in a while they 'll sing a song about God or something, but they my kids are at an age where they don 't really ask about that stuff, okay, so we really haven't had to deal with it very much but um I think the position right now is that it's a just a, a story, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's that's a tough. Yeah, it's a tough thing to deal with, you know. It is.
0: I had a four-year-old just like two nights ago telling me that they didn't want to be buried, like, you oh, know, like yeah, like it came up quick, you know. Wow. Well, we've been watching that movie Moana, and you know, ah. in Moana, Grandma, you know, dies and turns into a stingray. It's kind of cool.
2: Yeah, I've only I've only seen that movie like 150 times. Exactly,
0: yeah. So, so it worked for my son this idea of like oh, like you die and then you like turn into something else cool, you know? And like yeah. and that was kind of working on him. And mm-hmm. then like daughter, nope, not uh, into it. Like not into yeah. it at all. So I I thought I was going to get like a universal line of BS I could tell to both of them, and now yeah. it seems I have to cater uh, a little more delicately for one of them. Yeah. I think it's ironic though, Riley, that the same year you played drums, you kind of took a pivot away from the church. I think you started, uh, uh, started the down devil's the devil's instrument. highway right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, As Brad would call it, the devil's tubs. Yeah, drumming for <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Speaking of that, so this is my last question. and okay. And, you know, the future of drumming for people like us is sometimes in question by people like Brad, you know. They're <laughs> like, "Listen, why do we need you? The samples are getting great. I can mm-hmm. just cut this together." Benny, this is your this is your shield, I know, I'm projecting. I'm projecting. I'm projecting. <laughs> but, you know, in the I always I see myself these days as like a John Henry type, you know, who's like trying to beat the machines at, you know, uh getting through the mountainside and yeah. you know, like you know, what do you think the future of, you know, live rock drumming and, and is going to be like? And what do people like us have to do to survive?
2: Well, they need us, man. Who's going to load the trailer and drive the van? <laughs> <laughs> right? Can't get a robot for that. Yeah. yeah. Find me a fucking sample pack that'll load that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> It's mean, pretty true.
0: <laughs> it's pretty true. Yeah. yeah who's going to buy the van? Who's going to actually insure it? Right. Who's going to load the trailer? Who's going to fix the battery? Yeah. Oh my God. You're so right. So yeah. they just need us physically, but not really musically anymore. Uh, I guess. Yeah.
1: All right. That's a crock of shit.
0: Well, we all better get good at uh, <laughs> fixing transmissions and shit, I guess.
1: No, you just, you all better get good. That's my only complaint, okay? That's my only problem. I knew i get you to chime in <laughs> somewhere, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, that's awesome. Riley, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Hope you had a nice Dude, time.
2: So much fun. Good. Had an awesome time. Good. Thank you guys so much.
1: Yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs>
0: That's a great, you know what I noticed, which is funny, is that after Obama, everyone says folks now. Oh, really? You notice that? No one said folks like 15 years ago. And now it's like just the common nomenclature to call a group of people is folks. I think we owe Obama for that.
1: I've used that word for a long time. I love it. You have. Mm.
0: Can I tell you a funny story about touring with Thrice? Please. So we sometimes toured with our friend Andy Diamond. Pretty, uh notorious New Jersey promoter, friend, party guy, you know, and he didn't do anything on tour. He used to just come to take pictures and be a good time and kind of hang out. And we were on this very major tour. It was Rise Against, Alkaline Trio, and Thrice, and we were opening. And a couple of the shows, uh, Rise Against had to jump off and Alkaline Trio did their own headlining shows, and we still played them. So we went to a house of blues, I think in Dallas, I want to say. And uh, because of the way you know the shows split up, we're sharing a backstage room with Thrice. Of course, no problem. Who gives a shit? And everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden, Damon Atkinson, who was the drummer for the band Braid, um, so excellent drummer and musician himself, was tour managing thrice on that tour. And he comes up to me and he's like, yo, like, I don't want to be a dick, but like your buddy was just like, you know, not being cool. Like he was in the bathroom uh, was peeing with the door open and is just spraying piss like all <laughs> over the bathroom, like on the door and the walls. What? Yeah, he's like taking stuff. He's like, you know, he's like my beer, our beer. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, us, like we wouldn't make a stink. And I'm like, dude, dude, say no more. I'll go get him, you know? And I knew what was happening. I knew it was D getting a little out of control. So I go and grab him. <laughs> And I'm like, yo, D, like, you're out of the backstage for the night, okay? Like, this and this. And at first, he's very apologetic. You know, he's like, ah, oh, okay, right. okay. But then within, like, 15 seconds, he's like, eh, are you sure I was doing that? <laughs> I don't think so. And then I'm like, D, just trust me, you were doing that. And then, like, 30 seconds after, he's like, you know what? Fuck thrice. Fuck <laughs> thrice. <laughs> And I'm like, whoa, what? And I was like, you just pissed all over their walls. And shit. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to take down all my posters. I'm taking down all my pennants. I'm crushing my CDs. They're dead to me. <laughs> and he took, like, the mafia approach and then went ahead. Like, by the time he woke up the, the next morning, not remembering what he was doing, he hated oh,
1: Frights. Oh, God.
0: Because of this. But then, you know, after a couple of days later, actually figured out what happened and was on board again. But <laughs> very funny story. And on the same tour, I watched Damon Atkinson uh, uh, step up to Bam Margera, which was kind of funny. Mm. We wound up at a cheesy Las Vegas nightclub after the show. And uh, a table over from us was like Bam in the... Uh, what did they what was the sh- the jackass crew? Jesus, and um, you know, nobody knew each other, so it wasn't like a thing where people connected. But I guess Bam was escorted to the front of a very long bathroom line, and uh, Damon from Braid and you know, subsequently yeah. tour managing thrice had a couple things to say about that, and there was a uh, a kerfuffle in there Ooh. because but. I always like, I'm like, you know what? I don't care how famous you are. Like, you wait in a fucking bathroom line, right? Yeah. If you don't yeah. have access to a private one, like, that's your own fault. You weren't famous enough, you know? Yes,
1: exactly. Like, <laughs> then you
0: piss with the rest of us.
1: Unless you want to be considered a
0: douche. Exactly. Um. Which reminds me, one time at a festival, McNulty from The Wire was behind me in a uh, porta potty line. And tried to tried to go in front of me, being like, "Oh, like I just have to pee, mate." I'm like, "I just have to fucking pee too, McNulty." I know who you are. I have to play tonight. The wire's not fucking filming, you know?
1: Yes, come on. Yes, I didn't
0: say that. I didn't say any of that. I just said, "Yeah, I have to pee too," and turn my back on him and, and went ahead. But oh, so the, that's a bunch of my tales about uh, about peeing. Three stories. <laughs> Three stories in a row about peeing, Brad. It's on your mind. Do you have to go? Is that what's going on here? I don't. I pissed before Um, when we took a break. Yeah, I'm good. good. for you. I'm good, bud. So anyway, um, you know, I know I'm not a good interviewer, and uh, (laughs) I probably would have dug into the fact that it seems like Thrice has a new record coming out a little more, (laughs) but Riley did drop that at some point, and... uh,
1: And we advise you to look into it. We advise you to look into it on your own. (laughs) Don't
0: come here for breaking news. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm super excited for that. Always excited what what they're up to. Riley has some socials. He's Riley Breck, B-R-E-C-K, at Twitter and Instagram. That's miraculous. Wow. And uh, yeah. What about you, Brad? Anything to add here?
1: Uh, You know... Go check out our Patreon. As we said at the top, this whole thing is funded by our patrons. You can be one. Uh, there's going to be some bonus content from this episode, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that'll be posted on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash going off track. We do a weekly uh, chat room with patrons. And we throw up bonus content. There's a lot of archived video and stuff there. There's even a few full on, full length podcast episodes mm. that are not available anywhere else. Anywhere else. And give us a review on iTunes or Apple Music or whatever you want to call it these days. Uh, any kind of review, but you know, Benny has a preference for um saucy. Is the word maybe? No, or no, no. Blue? Come on. Why is are you afraid to say it?
0: <laughs> Why are you afraid to say sexual, Brad? <laughs> You're a grown man. You have children. You've clearly done this.
1: <laughs> oh, Benny, it's so embarrassing.
0: It's. It, I just like, listen, I really <laughs> like Teddy Pendergrass. I've been listening to a lot of Curtis Mayfield lately. Ooh, Silk yeah. Sonic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If there's anything the world needs right now, it's a little lust, you know, we need, we need to get into the saucy, dark milieu of the human body. I want to I smell weird scents. I want to feel strange things. I want to be taken on a rainbow to a place called Pleasure Town. So look, I just gave you a review right there. Take it verbatim. Just,
1: just write that down and post it on uh, oh. Apple Podcasts and you can claim it for your own.
0: I hope I I wind up on goodreads.com for that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should be out. Thank you everybody. We will see you next week. Love you. Bye.